Have you ever lost a job? Count it all as joy. Have you ever lost a home? Now, I know we had the fires that came through here, and there were. There were individuals within the church that actually lost everything. Count it all as joy. Have you ever lost a pet? Count it all as joy. Have you ever lost a loved one or a family member? Count it all as joy. Now, does anybody remember who Corey Tim Boom was? She's most noted for the book that she wrote, uh, The Hiding Place. And basically during World War II, her and her family, they went ahead and they harbored uh, Jews. As the Nazis were persecuting and rounding them all up and everything, they actually hid a bunch of them, but eventually got found. And with that, it wasn't just the Jews that went to the concentration camp, but it was Christians that helped as well. And they were sent off. Uh, it came to one point where the Nazis actually broke up the family. And later she would write that that would be the last time that she would ever see her mother or father again. Um, her sister, though, and her, they ended up going to the same camp together. And while they were there, uh, they lived in deplorable conditions. Literally, when they got into the barracks that they were, that they were to be in, there was just hay as in all of the beds that were there and stacked five, six deep uh, up to the ceilings. There was hay all on the floor. And because of that, one of the things that ran rampant in those barracks were the fleas. There were fleas everywhere. Well, one of the things that uh, Corey and her sister had done was they took little pieces of toilet paper and they wrote scripture on them. And they would pray and they would go ahead and have little Bible studies based off of the scripture that they, they, they remembered. And one time, while Corey's sister was praying, she said, Dear God, thank you for the fleas. Now, Corey didn't say anything, but she thought to herself and she wrote in her book, she was like, she was like, Thank you for the fleas. Really? I am written with flea bites all over me. It's a disgusting situation. How could you do that? How could you say thank you for the fleas? However, it turned out that a bunch of the soldiers would go into the barracks and they would rape the women that were in there. But they wouldn't go in to Corey's barracks because of the fleas. So today's message is counted all as joy. Really? So if you would do, if you would, let's start off in the book of James, verse one, chapter one. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let no man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
Let the lowly brother glory in exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat that it withers the grass, its flowers fall, and its beauty appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptations, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be kind, be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. So we start off in James 1 and he says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. So the author identifies himself and he identifies himself as James. Well, in the Bible, there's four different James that are mentioned. James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, um, a disciple of uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And we find that in Matthew 4.21. Then there's James, the son of Alphaeus, called the less or the younger, also one of the apostles. And uh, there is James, the father of an apostle named Judas, which we find in Luke 6.16. And lastly, James, the half-brother of Jesus, traditionally called the just, which we find in Matthew 13.55. And this James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. We find that in Acts 15.13 and Galatians 2.9. And it would be the most probable and who I believe is the author of this book. Now, in this case, he's the half-brother of Jesus. Now, I think it's noteworthy that he never mentions that. 
Now, was it out of shame? Because remember, in John 7, 5, it says, For even his brothers did not believe in him. Or maybe it was just out of humility that he doesn't even mention his relationship to Jesus Christ. Instead, his sole claim to authority was his spiritual servanthood to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I find this amazing because if my name were Adam Graham, brother to Franklin, son of Billy Graham, I would use this to my advantage. I believe that all of you listening would be listening a whole lot more intently and not be only falling asleep after the first verse like you are now. But here James identifies himself only as a bondservant of God and Jesus. Let's all have that kind of humility. Amen? Verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy, Adam? Really? Now, this is still an area that I struggle in. Hindsight being twenty twenty, I can often look back at different situations and I can see God's hand in it. But when I'm in the midst of a trial, it can be so hard. But you see, we need to make a choice. We can either walk in the spirit or we can walk in the flesh. You see, our flesh says, God, why did you take this person from me? But the spirit says, what do you want me to learn from this, Lord? Trials and temptations are there for our growth. Now, We do not worship Allah, who is considered a capricious God. So in other words, a God who is uh, given into sudden or unaccountable changes of mood or behavior. We worship a God who is the same yesterday as he is today, as he will be tomorrow. When I arrest somebody for driving underneath the influence, I'll bet that they're not sitting there in handcuffs on the way to the jail thinking, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. (laughs) Right? No, they're probably more thinking like, this sucks. (laughs) Okay? But let's think about this. Let's think about this. Okay? Here it is. Okay? When I arrest them, did I catch them before they crashed? Yeah. Did they get hurt? No. Did they hurt someone else? No. Or worse yet, did they kill someone else? You see... They were spared having done some of the most hurtful and terrible things because of what they perceived as a bad situation. Now, that person can look at that situation in two different ways. They can look at it in the spirit or the flesh. So today, make that choice. When you're going through trials and tribulations, first, count it all as joy. And look at it through the spirit. Which brings me to my first point. You didn't think because Tanner wasn't here, you weren't going to get your points for today, did you? So, our first point, when going through trials, choose the Spirit and count it all joy. Verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. How many of you like tests? Not a single hand. Oh, one. Okay, that's good. Because that's that's 100% more than first service. <laughs> okay? Now, I know personally, I did not like taking tests when I was in school. As a matter of fact, I even faked being sick once or twice in order to get out of taking tests. But sometimes we did well when we took tests. Sometimes not so well. 
Sometimes we fell short again and again and again. We all fall short of the glory of our Lord. And I've heard people say, oh, I've disappointed God. No, we've disappointed ourselves. You see, here it is. God already knew what was going to happen. So it wasn't like it was a big shock. Okay, It's not like God is sitting up there in heaven and he goes, what? Adam, he just did what? Oh, no. Pobrecita, little Adam. No, he wasn't doing that. He knew exactly what I was going to do, the sin that I was in and how I was going to mess up even before I had done it. But testing, failing, and mistakes are also some of the best ways to learn. And learning produces what? We learn that it produces patience. When I was in the army, one time we had to put up this 150-foot antenna. And basically what we had was these 10-foot sections, and you'd slide it in, and you'd have to crank it up, and then you'd put this coupling on, and you'd go ahead and slide in another 10-foot section, and you'd crank that up, and then you'd go ahead and you'd attach these guide wires onto it, and you'd crank it up a little bit more. Well, here it was. We put up 150 feet, okay? goes all the way up. And then one of my sergeants was holding in his hand something. And he goes, you guys forget anything? No, no, the antenna's on top. We got the master. No, no, it's good. It's good. Did you put the coupling on that holds the antenna to the top of the mast? We had to take the whole thing back down again. Start all over and put that coupling on to make sure that that antenna wasn't going to fall off. Now, do you think that was an exercise in patience for my sergeants? Yes, most definitely. And do you think that we ever put it up 150 feet again without checking to make sure that that coupling was on there? Oh, I guarantee you, we checked, double-checked, and triple-checked to make sure that that wasn't going to happen. So, number one, we know that we can go ahead and learn uh, or that there will be trials and tribulations, but we need to count it all as joy. And number two, when we're tested, it produces patience. So even though we may not like it or even understand it, if we are in the spirit, there is a benefit to bad situations. Verse four, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So if I'm patient, I get to be perfect Now, I know some of you are perfect already. Now, no matter how patient I am, I just can't seem to reach perfection. What is James trying to tell us here? You see, it's not that we will never have anything go wrong again or that we'll never sin again, but instead, it's you've reached the end. You've completed your trial and you lack nothing. Ah, but Adam... What if I reach the end and I still lack wisdom? I'm glad you asked. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let... 
For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord if he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. You see, if I ask God to give me wisdom how to defeat the locking mechanism on the vault over at First Mountain's bank, do you think he's going to give that to me? No, right? But if we could be like Solomon, and ask God for wisdom that way. Turn with me, if you would, into your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. By the way, 1 Kings, that's right uh, before 2 Kings. If you need help finding that. 1 Kings chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 4. Now, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice, and he's talking about Solomon, uh, for that was a great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be counted or numbered. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is better, who is able to, to judge this great people of yours. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and you have not asked long life for yourself, nor have you have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall be, uh, there shall not be anyone like you among these kings all your days. You see, it is so amazing. And if we ask God properly, you see, Solomon didn't ask for wealth. He just asked, Lord, let me know right from wrong. He was seeking wisdom. Just as it says here in James, God gives liberally. By the way, this is the one time that I condone being a liberal. But that's what I love about our God. He doesn't give us just a little bit of light. No, he gives 14 hours of sunlight throughout the day. He doesn't give us just a little bit of air to breathe. No, he gives us the entire atmosphere to go ahead and breathe deep. You see, we worship a God of abundance. And don't ever forget that. So our second point is, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask 
of God. Verse 9. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Now, James offers two examples of trials in this passage. One is of the lowly brother, who, and the other is the rich man. Lowly would be better translated poor in contrast to the man who's rich. Um, the poor believer is to glory, remember, count it all as joy, in the fact that God has exalted him by allowing him to experience difficult circumstances, for these will only perfect his character and faith. The rich believer can also glory when a trial brings him low because it teaches him that life is short and his pursuits, that is his business, will fade away. The rich man should always trust in the Lord, not in himself, not in his money. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptations, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which is the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when full grown, gives forth death. Now, I was just up in Sacramento this last week, and what I was doing was receiving my active shooter certification up there. And one of the points that they bring out is, here it is, active shooters don't just wake up in the morning and think, oh, I think I'm going to take out all of my fellow students. You see, there's all the things that piled, that brought up to that point. First of all, you know, there was the teasing, there was the peer pressure, there was the mockery, there was the video games, there was all of these things, and then... It was conceived. I know how I can get back at them. And from that conception then goes into the preparation. Going out and practicing. Getting a gun. The planning that goes. What school I'm going to go ahead and hit. And then the nefarious deed that they go ahead and take out. And just as it says here in James. All of those things continue until that ultimate act. That nefarious act. And it isn't just a death of sin. But death in real life. Now, as law enforcement, that's one of the things that they're teaching us to go ahead and to be looking for, is to be looking for when that conception process starts, to see some of those indicators, to see some of those signs. And you know, that was something that happened most recently up in Mammoth. An officer was responded out to a tagging incident, and when looking at it, he went out there, he took a bunch of pictures, he took some, started on the report, and he thought to himself, you know, he goes, let me go ahead and see if maybe the local high school has had any similar uh, problems. So he went over to the high school, and there at the high school, sure enough, they had had a tagging incident, and the, the principal there was, all, hey, not only did we have the tagging incident, but we caught the kid who did it, and he just recently turned 18. And to be honest with you, I think he's going to be our next active shooter. So they got together with some of the teachers, the the local police department and sheriff, and they wrote a warrant. They served a search warrant to his house. They ended up finding 20 guns and a stockpile of ammunition. You see, 
There was the conception. There was the planning. We can see all of those things as it's laid out, just like it says here in James, as far as it comes to our sin, right? Here it is. When the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Fortunately, that time it worked out very well and saved a lot of lives. Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You see, only good can come from God. And I often think people get this confused a lot. You see, God doesn't wish bad things upon us. And evil has no place and sin has no place with him. Now, does he allow bad things to happen? Yes. But every perfect gift is from above. Now, I love these, uh, these, uh, there's two words in the Greek that are used here when it refers to good gift and perfect gift. First is dosis agathi, and the second is dorema telion. The Greek text here are two separate words to describe God's giving. The first word, dosis, means the act of giving and is accompanied by the adjective for good. While the second, dorema, denotes the actual gifts received and is preceded by the adjective for perfect. The first expression emphasizes the goodness of receiving something from God, while the second, the perfect quality of whatever God gives. God's giving continuously good, and his gifts are always perfect. Now, we live in a very fast-paced and convenience-oriented world, do we not? And when here it is, somebody's birthday comes along or Christmas comes about, what's the go-to gift? What is it? Somebody say, I heard money. And what else? Gift cards, right? Yeah, exactly, right? You know, but here it is. Our God doesn't operate that way, does he? He gives us the perfect gift. Now, Michelle, my wife, her um, uh, one of her grandmothers, she was like that. She would give the perfect gift. I remember one year when here it was, um, she gave us a towel warmer. Okay? Now, it was something that was expensive. It was something that was wonderful. I mean, here it was. We wouldn't buy it for ourselves. Something expensive. You know, I mean, it was, it was a, uh, an extra, if you will, right? But she knew having that towel warmer, especially up here in the mountains in the wintertime when it would dry the towels and it would go ahead and warm them and you'd have this nice warm towel. When you got out of the towel, the shower, right? It was wonderful. But that's the way that she was. She would put thought into it to make sure that she got you the perfect gift. And that's the way our God is too. He gives us the perfect gift from above. Which brings me to my third point. God's giving is continuously good. <laughs> and his gifts are always perfect. Excellent. I thought we lost it there for a moment. Verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce righteousness of God. So, everybody, I want you to say it with me. Swift to hear, slow to speak. 
Say it again. One more time. And one more time. Now, if Adam would just figure out what one more time meant. So, the fourth point is swift to hear, slow to speak. Now, that's probably why God gave us two ears and only one mouth, right? Yeah. Plus, we'd look pretty funny if we had one ear sitting in the middle of our forehead too, right? Just saying. Something to think about. Now, think about it. Our natural reaction when somebody wrongs us, right? What do we want to do? We want to go ahead and we want to get back at that that person. Verbally, if nothing else, right? Hey, somebody goes ahead and wrongs us and we were just like, Hey, you shut your mouth, you big flop doodle. Right? But let me ask you, by responding that way, are we really glorifying God? No. See, but if we hold one's tongue, trying to understand the other person's perspective or their point of view and leaving vengeance or vindication to our God, it demonstrates a godly love in all those situations. Amen? Amen. Verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. But the doer of the word and not the hearers only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. Be doers of the word. You could come every Sunday for the rest of of your life to church and it would not do you an ounce of good if you only hear God's word and not do it. You see, being a doer of of the word truly shows inside of your heart which should be Jesus. Remember what is said in Matthew 10, 45? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus led by example. We should be doers of the word. Serve and serve others. But Adam, I don't have any spiritual gifts. I can't get up there like you or Tanner and teach a message. Can you stand? Can you stand and hand out a bulletin? You could be an usher. Hey, can you watch kids? You could work in the nursery, right? Maybe you have the gift of music. You could be on the worship team. You see, there are so many different ways to serve. But, you know, not just serving here or in your church. But I challenge you, serve when you're at work. Be a doer of God's word at work. Be a doer of God's word when you're out in the public. Be a doer of God's word when you're at your home. All of those places. Serve. Serve. Now, being in charge of the helps ministry, I don't know how many times I'd come home from work be completely exhausted, be totally tired, and yet still we had to go ahead and move one of the saints from one house to another. I wrestled with it. I'll be honest with you. I'd be like, no, Lord, I just want to go to bed. 
just want to go to bed. But alas, I would get up and all the rest of us would go over to that person's house. We'd move that individual, get them into their new place and everything. And when we were done, they were blessed. But you know who was blessed more? Me. Most definitely. I, I tell you, just the spirit inside of me, the, the feeling that I could go ahead and help out somebody who needed help, it is a beautiful thing. And I encourage you, I encourage you to serve in that manner, in that way, again and again and again. So, my fifth and final point is always look for work and be doers of the word. Verse 26 If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's really what it's all about, folks. Doing good for those that are in need. Reaching out. And helping those individuals. That we are supposed to be doers of the word. It's translated into positive actions of reaching out and helping others in need. And just keep yourself unspotted from the world. You know, so often I get discouraged when I look out into the world. We have the media selling us doom and gloom every day. We have Hollywood constantly bashing the religious right in this country. But every once in a while, I see a spark. I see a faint glimmer of hope. You see, every time I do men's camp out each year, I'm refreshed and my hope is renewed because I see the next generation coming up. I see their godly love and their love for Jesus in them. And you know, this week, my hope was stirred yet again. 